Yarns for Yanks. Yarns for Yanks, a program of stories for every fighting man of the United Nations. The yarns you want to hear spun for you by your favorite stars. Today, the Special Service Division of the War Department brings you one of the most famous storytellers of radio and screen. You've heard his voice many times. You've thrilled at the dramas he's had to tell. The commentator and observer of the passing parade, John Nesbitt. Hello out there. I have two stories for you this trip. Both of them are incredible. Both of them happen to be true. Of course, scientists will tell you that nothing is really impossible. The men who spend their days in laboratories seeing how many times a mouse must bump his head to get through a maze, or what the chances are for a hailstorm in Panama on the 4th of July, these men will tell you that nothing can't happen. The chances against its happening may be astronomical. The chances, for example, that you will wake up tomorrow morning locked in an oak cupboard in a peasant's hut in France, are probably 20 million or so to one. But in wartime, the impossible always happens. Because the armies of the world involve astronomical numbers of men, events sometimes occur which have astronomical odds against them. For example, one soldier in the last World War did wake up one morning and find to his astonishment that he was locked in a kitchen cupboard of a French peasant's hut in Normandy. And what is more... He remained in that cupboard for four years. I'll tell you about that one later. Our first story on the, today's passing parade concerns another soldier from the First War. His name was Armand Below, and the strange series of accidents which happened to him were at million to one odds. Chance ruled that out of a million French soldiers, this impossible experience should occur to Armand Below. On August 1st, 1914, all France read the proclamation of war. Armand Below was one of the first men to sign up. And in his brilliant red and blue uniform, they were still wearing those colors in 1914, he marched proudly off to the war. Nevertheless, six days after his arrival, he went over the top, drove madly forward, took the place of his dead company commander until something struck him in the left shoulder, spun him around, and left him sprawling face downward in the mud. In a hospital behind the lines, he became a hero. A croix de guerre was pinned to his pajamas. But two weeks later, Armand Below, perhaps still with some fever, quietly slipped out of the hospital and disappeared. Twenty-four years went by. The French government searched for that deserter in wartime and in peacetime without a single clue or hint of where he was. What happened? Armand Below simply went home. He went to the farm in which he'd grown up, and he told his parents the story. And that night, Armand climbed up a ladder to the top of the house, and he hid in the garret. The police came and went. In the hidden room under the roof, he was safe. With his bright uniform neatly hung up in the closet, he sat in his bathrobe and waited. The days drew into weeks, and the weeks into months. Sometimes he would make up his mind to go out and give himself up, but always, as he'd put his hand on the doorknob, he would lose his nerve. 
because he knew that the moment he stepped out of that tiny room, he would go up against a brick wall with a line of rifles before him and be shot for desertion. Armin Below remains. The year 1937 approaches its end. 22 years since the day of entry into that room, which he never left for a moment. Well, at that time, his temper, finally strained by the terrible life he'd led, he got into an unimportant argument with his father. Their voices were raised. A neighbor heard the two voices coming from the garret, worried about it, and sent for the police. Armand below. The long wait is ended. And very thankfully, Armand went with the military police to prison. He had no clothing, nothing to wear except the faded blue coat and red trousers that had hung in that closet for two decades. So that in that uniform, with the croix de guerre pinned to the breast, he walked through the streets to court where he unfolded the story of his life from his 25th year to his 47th. The best years of his life spent hiding in the gloom of a tiny room. Armand Below, the man in the room, the strangest human being in the wartime passing parade. And here's another ghost of World War I in this department of the procession. He happens to be a live ghost. He's living today in the British Isles. And he owes the fact of his living to a million-to-one chance that could only happen during wartime. If you should go this evening to the little village called Bertry in France and walk down the narrow main street and enter an old farmhouse at the very end of the row, a proud and friendly old woman would probably be there to greet you. And she would take you to the kitchen and show you a large oaken cupboard with heavy carved doors. This cupboard is five and a half feet tall. It is five feet wide. It is 20 inches deep. It's more than 100 years old. And oddly enough, because of the possession, the British government, up until the time of the fall of France, paid to Madame Belmont Gobert a life income. Medals and decorations from two governments are fixed to the walls of that house. And many a regiment in England toasts her each summer. Hence, we checked up on details and we pick up the following trail to a story. Six months after the start of the World War, the British are suffering dreadful losses. The perfect machine-like armies of the Kaiser rolling forward across the fields of France as they were in the early stages of the war that followed many years later. And back from their lines came the British, companies shattered to bits, retreating through those French villages, and retreating at last through that village. Madame Gobert is already a widow. All one week, the fighting sweeps through a village, the British desperately trying to hold, and the German army pressing them backward. At the end of the week, the Germans are in possession of that half-ruined French village. The French woman goes out to her backyard after the Germans have occupied it to get wood for a fire. She stoops down. She hears a moan. For a half-covered with firewood is a young boy in a British uniform. Madame Gobert stands looking down on him for a moment. She's read the proclamation that it is death to harbor any allied soldier or spy. But the boy is young. She stoops and with her powerful farmer's arms, she carries him into the house and she places him on a bed that had once belonged to her own son, both of whom had been killed. All night she sits beside the boy, cooling his fever and keeping bandages moist. And early morning, there's a shuffle of feet outside and a rapping on the door... The woman arises, walks out to her front porch. A Prussian officer, three men with him. Madam, we are searching all cottages. One side, please. In a few minutes, the three soldiers return and smile and salute. 
There is no one in the place. Fine, says the officer. And, madam, you have a charming home. I shall billet 20 men here. Mind that you give them good beds and good food. They will arrive here today. A moment later, they marched away. The woman rushed to the bedchamber. But the room was empty. She searched the house. In her kitchen, the right-hand door of her cabinet was slightly ajar. The left-hand one was tightly closed. Behind it hunched Patrick Fowler, that young British soldier. There was just room enough for him to stand if he crouched slightly. That afternoon, 19 German privates with their sergeant marched up to the house. And from that moment, all the rooms save the kitchen were filled with men. Days passed, and late each night, the closet door would open. The white-faced young Britisher slip out and lie on the brick floor by the stove until his tortured muscles straightened out. Sometimes Madame Gobert would be able to stand near the closed cabinet and whisper, It won't be much longer now. The French army will retake the town in a few weeks. But she was wrong. For the village of Bertry, France, remained in German hands for years. Every villager in the community knew that Patrick Fowler was in that house. Every villager knew exactly where. Not a soul uttered a word to the Germans. An entire year went by. A second year. Incredibly, the French woman kept her secret, and incredibly, Pat Fowler stood in that tiny hidden space. Then things began to change at last on distant battle lines. Sudden news of a British advance came to the village. Battle was called for the morning, and the 20 German veterans knew that they might die the next day. They were determined on a last spree, and they scattered through the rooms of the house. They ripped down curtains, they pried open drawers, climbed up into the loft. Madame Gobert, white-faced, stood by her kitchen stove watching them with blazing eyes. A dozen times they passed that familiar cabinet. Furious, they filled their arms then with all of the valuable trinkets they can find to sell for wine. Then a German officer rises from his chair, puts his monocle in his eye, and stares at the heavy kitchen cabinet. Thoughtfully, he moves toward it. Instantly, the tall woman is before him. She seizes a silver-framed photograph that stands on top. You cannot have this, do you hear? You cannot have it. What are you talking about, madame, replies the officer. This is my son's picture. You cannot take it and sell it for wine like you have everything else in my house. And the German officer protests. But, madame, I wasn't going to take your picture. I am merely going to open the closet door, you see. Yes, you are going to steal my last little treasure. You killed my Pierre, wrecked my house. And now you want to destroy the only picture I have of my son. And you call yourself a gentleman and an officer. The Major looks at her steadily. For the last time, madam, I'm not interested in the picture. I only want to see if there's anything in that closet. But before Madame Gobert had finished with that officer, he was humiliated and he bowed and stalked out of the room. Exactly 19 years ago this summer, the English army regained the town of Bertrand, France. The door to the cupboard was opened at last, and Patrick Fowler of the 11th British Hussars closed it behind him, and the proud old Frenchwoman stood watching. Goodbye, Mother, and Madame Gobert. Goodbye, my son. And that is why each summer, a hundred soldiers at a regimental dinner in England will rise to their feet and click glasses to a humble peasant woman in the north of France. And wherever he is, the round-shouldered officer called Patrick Fowler goes on, alive and grateful that he's still a member of this passing parade. You fighting men of World War II are part of an army of millions. 
And you may happen to be the millionth man chosen by fate for a strange experience against which the odds are a million to one. And if this happens, why not write me about your experience? Some of you who hail from Keokuk and Klamath Falls are now exploring new islands and new territories, seldom if ever seen before by white men. You are seeing people whose histories and civilizations are very strange to us and about which we may know very little. Perhaps in the line of your military travelings, you might be a principal in a story as incredible as those I have told you today. If you are, I'd certainly appreciate it if you'd gather the facts, and the facts only, please, which can be accurately checked and verified, and send them to me. It would be an honor for me to include a story unearthed by some of you fighting men in a future yarn for Yanks. But now, when the youth of America is stationed at critical military posts in the far north and south of both hemispheres, you are prepared as never before to be first-hand spectators of the greatest adventures of the passing parade. You've been listening to John Nesbitt bringing you more Yarns for Yanks. Your favorite stories is told by your favorite stars. Stars of motion pictures, radio, and stage are on hand to spin world-famous stories. Let us know what your favorites are so we can schedule them on Yarns for Yanks soon. And if, as Mr. Nesbitt suggests, you've discovered a story which may form an interesting part of the passing parade, please let us hear from you. Address John Nesbitt, care of Special Service Los Angeles, USA. This is Frank Graham inviting you to hear more Yarns for Yanks soon. Yarns for Yanks is produced for you fighting men of the United Nations by the Special Service Division of the War Department of the United States of America. Mm-hmm.